Welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you that you are a God of fresh starts and new beginnings. That, Lord, as we approach the end of this calendar year, that we would not think about this as a time of discouragement or a time of falling short. But, Lord, just give us a sense of new beginnings. Give us a sense of fresh starts. Give us a sense, Lord, of of being refreshed regarding living our life. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay. First, to give you full disclosure, you might notice that the sound that I'm, uh, the sound of my voice is a little bit off today because I'm not in the studio. Uh, I'm actually in uh, a small town, a, a mining town called Wallace, Idaho. And it's my son, John Luke's birthday. Uh, John Luke Thomas Curran, born on December the 28th. You're hearing this on the 29th. I'm recording this on the 28th. And we are here for a few days. Actually, we head back uh, tomorrow on the day that you're hearing the program. Um, We got away for a few days for a Christmas break to be able to enjoy time together as a family. And um, we ended up going skiing. And Carrie and I talked about the fact that we were going to be doing this. And we actually surprised John Luke. There are, I'm trying to figure out how many guys. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven or eight students from the Oaks who are here with us <laughs> in one of these Airbnbs that they say it sleeps 20. But let me tell you, it uh, that 20 is, um, it's, it's tight. <laughs> it's mostly just bedrooms. So, but it, I got to tell you, it is, it has been a delightful time, just a, a beautiful time, very refreshing time. And, and I use that word refreshing intentionally because here we are, we've got a bunch of high school kids, uh, mostly boys. There's one young lady that came as well, who knows my daughters um, from the Oaks. And uh, she's the sister of one of the young men that's here as well. And and so she came along and yesterday we celebrated her birthday and John Luke's birthday. And the way we did it was um, not just like through food and singing happy birthday, but we did what we normally do as a family, which is we honor the one whose birthday it is. We affirm that one. To affirm means to speak words that build up. As you know, it's easy for kids to fall into um, language, ways of talking to each other that is a put down, right? Or that is mean, or that is just not life-giving. And so one of the important things that we have fostered in our kids, and we try to model for our kids, I shouldn't say try, um, hopefully we are modeling for our kids, Carrie and I, is the concept of speaking words that build up, speaking words of life. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have other forms of speech, like uh, speaking harsh, uh, speaking in a way that's corrective, speaking in a way that is um, uh, critical, uh, in, on all of that. But the idea of speaking in a way that will build up is really important. Uh, let me call it a character trait. It's it's a manifestation of what I was talking about on the program yesterday, which was this gift message, right? If you listen to the program yesterday, I talked about the consecration, consecrating your family to God, consecrating your family in a very special way to the Holy Family, to the Holy Family of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. And I mentioned tongue-in-cheek a little bit about what it must have been like to be at the dinner table with Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. And if something went astray or awry in the conversation, it was always Joseph's fault. Well, in the, in the real world, the actual world in which we're living, um, it's easy for conversations to, to degrade, right? To, to go into negative patterns, sarcasm, hurtful speech, things like that. And so to, to raise up a standard 
in speech, to raise up a standard in speech that is just don't cuss, don't say negative things. If you can't say something good, don't say anything at all. You know, those kinds of things. You want to, to as well, and what we focus on as well is, is the idea that the Lord gave you the power of speech in order to build each other up. The Lord gave you the power of speech in order to do something good with it, to do something beautiful with it. And so my hope is that when we gathered everybody together in, the, in after dinner, I had let them know, hey, you guys are being drawn into a current birthday custom, which is to affirm each other, to build each other up in speech. And so the kids were kind of a little bit like, okay, what's this going to look like? <laughs> and so here we are. We, we were in the small sort of gathering space living room. There were about, I don't know, 12 of us, uh, maybe even maybe even more than that, maybe more like 15 of us. And um, I first had the, the young lady whose birthday it was um, on Monday to affirm her. And I had Ariana go first um, because Ariana, our senior in high school, she knows how to do this. She's been around a lot of years of affirmation, a lot of years of speaking to a sibling in a way that is, here's how I see you as a gift. Here are some of the gifts that I see in you. And here are some of the ways that I've seen those gifts come alive. Okay, did you, I, just, I just said those three things very intentionally. If you're going to teach your kids to affirm, and I hope you do, if you're going to be an affirming person, and I hope you are, there is a, there, there's a, an art to it. There's a, even, let me call it a science, right? There, this isn't just sort of make stuff up. But there's, there's a way to affirm well, and there's a way to affirm poorly. And so if we want to affirm well, and I believe you do and, and I do, then it's important to model it. It's important to teach it. And so the first thing I did was I said to the kids, okay, kids, first, let me kind of point out some of the traits of what an affirming message sounds like. And so just saying, you know, the simple things, right? It's authentic. You're not just making stuff up. It's measured. It's not exaggerated. And here's one of the things that I said that was, I think, almost, almost the most important. And that is, it was, um, it was not comparative. It wasn't comparative, meaning, hey, you're a lot more mature than you were last year. <laughs> oh, I'm saying something positive. Yeah, but you're doing it over against a negative. So, not, or, boy, you're so much nicer than the other people in the room, right? Things like that are very natural ways that some people will affirm is in comparison to other people. And so, or in comparison to that same person at an earlier stage. So, I didn't want that to happen. And it was so interesting because when, we ended up um, saying, okay, who's going to affirm so-and-so now? The number one tendency that the kids fell into was the comparative one. You know, they, they also would fall into sometimes being very general rather than specific. Uh, but you could see that there was, a, there was a sense of being genuine in their voices um, when they affirmed. So Ariana went first. And, I, you know, maybe that wasn't the best strategy because she really knew how to do it. <laughs> she knew how to do it well. And she went on. And at the end, people were kind of like, whoa, do I have to do that? <laughs> do I have to measure up to that standard? And uh, I was like, just do the best you can. You saw what, how, what she did. She identified, you know, here, young lady, her name's Perrin. Perrin, here's how you're a gift. And here are the gifts that I see you having. And here are some of the ways that those gifts show up in our relationship. And just thank, you know, uh, thank you for being a friend. And um, it, was, it was really powerful to see a group of high school kids and, and some, uh, some of my, my younger kids were there as well, to be able to be in a room together and to speak positively, to speak in a way that was up building, it was uplifting. 
It's actually quite beautiful. So after several of them affirmed Perrin, then we went to uh, John Luke, and it was his turn to be affirmed. And so it started with his brother, and then several other of the young men that were here affirmed John Luke as well. And you know what happened? There was this, there was this uh, sense of, I want in on that. I want to be able to do that too. I want to be part of that. And so I got to tell you, so John Luke's a freshman and there was, you know, there were, there was a senior here. There were uh, a couple of juniors here. There were a couple of sophomores here and uh, a freshman here as well. And to have him be affirmed by like a senior and juniors, do, do you know what that means to a freshman? To be able to like not just to be noticed, but to be noticed in a positive way, that is so powerful. It speaks life into kids' lives. And so when that was done, I said, okay, and, and I let them know this in advance. I said, everybody in the room is going to have somebody affirm them. So, uh, and I, I didn't keep using the word affirm because affirmation can seem kind of like a soft word. So I talked about, I used the word build up. We're going to edify. We're going to build each other up. This is a godly thing to do. We're going to build each other up. And so after we affirm the, the two whose birthdays we're acknowledging and celebrating, I want each of you to know that you're a gift as well. And so take turns. And when it's your turn, uh, when, when you want, you can stand up and you can point someone else out in the room and affirm them. And it was so cool. It was really beautiful and powerful because they, you know, it's, uh, this one guy jumped up a junior and he called out another junior. And, he, and his affirmation was, I just want to affirm you because in class, when we get a little goofy, when we start being a bit off track and maybe not following the guidance of the teacher and, and kind of goofing off, you call us back to, to good order. You Tell us to get in line. And I want to affirm you for that. Can you imagine hearing that between two juniors in front of their peers? I got to witness that. And it was so powerful. And, and then one after the other, the kids stood up and they pointed to someone else and they affirmed that person. Now, what also became apparent was that the idea of building each other up through speech is rare. It's not something that um, many of the kids did that well. I'm giving you kind of the highlights, right? And, and you might, you know, think, wow, you know, boy, that's so ideal. It's so far from what would be like attainable. No, no, no. It, don't get the wrong idea, please. This was this wasn't some kind of idealized situation. No, there were a lot of, you know, you're a good guy and and, and, and you're nice, you know, you're kind, uh, you're fun, uh, you're a good basketball player, right? So there were things that were at hand, sort of easy things for some of the kids who were not uh, comfortable or would not commonly, um, would not commonly um, speak in, in, in ways that were affirming. So you could see that that was, that was true. But what I saw underneath it was that they were reaching up into that realm of life-giving speech. They were reaching up into that realm of saying, I want in on this. I want to be part of this kind of talking. And so uh, that was powerful. And then at the end, when everyone had a chance to be affirmed, I then pointed to each of the families that was there. Like these kids came from families that we've connected to at the Oaks. And I went around and I affirmed their parents to them and, to, and their families to them. And you know how, how good that feels? Like how proud they can feel in, in, the, in the authentic sense. Right, feeling proud of the fact that my family's gift quality, my family's 
like the goodness that resides in my family, it's been named. It was known. It was noticed. And it was really, it was, it was, I think it was neat for them to see a dad affirm their dads, their families right in front of them. And so I was really happy to do it. And, and, you know, this is something I've done for a lot of years, but it's the kind of thing that I want these young men to see as a quality that they would maybe be drawn to. They would maybe want to imitate. They would want to bring into their own lives. And so that was a, that was a real blessed moment. It was a real blessed moment. And then, you know, afterwards, kids had fun just doing their thing. Um, and, and now, even as I'm talking to you, kids are back up skiing again during the day. Um, this actually brings me to a, another, another theme. Um, and it's actually, it's, it's, an important, it's an important concept. Um, and so I, I don't want to miss up. So what I'm going to do is this. Is I'm going I'm to go to a break right now. And then when I come back, I want to not have you miss out on the importance of, of your prayerful protection. Actually, you know what? I talked about it yesterday. So I, I'll just I'll kind of quickly just wrap this point up because I, I want to stay on this line of being refreshing rather than draining and just being spiritually sick. I, I want to talk about the gift of virtue as bringing happiness, bringing life and joy versus sin dragging you down, dragging me down, weighing me down as something that is not life-giving at all. Um, so the last point I was going to make, just say it real quickly, is as my kids went off, I actually prayed with all the kids before they left as a group, just said pray for blessings and protection over their driving and over their skiing, that they would be safe. And just know this, dads, know this, moms, that the Lord has given you authority authority over the relationships where he has placed you in those positions of authority and he honors the relationships he establishes if he's placed you as a father in this relationship that he honors it so don't doubt that please don't doubt that all right we're coming up against a break when we come back more sound insight Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Perrin. It's great to be with you today. Today I'm, I'm reflecting on the fact that we're getting close to the end of the year and how the Lord, in giving us this moment, wants us to have a fresh start, wants us to have a new beginning. Uh, I'm recording this program on the 28th. It's my son, John Luke Thomas Curran's birthday. That, this is a great name. <laughs> you know, um, he, our names, like the Currens, Carrie and I, uh, we, I've shared this with you before, but just a, a quick thing, just as a kind of reminder, like our kids' names are kind of funny. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I kind of laugh, but when kids hear our kids' names, Mary Grace, Anne-Marie, Mary Catherine, Ariana, uh, John Mark, John Luke, Annalise, Luciana, Liliana, the names, um, it's like, how in the world would we have ever come up with those names? And the answer is, Hopefully, in the world, we didn't come up with these names. Oh, we did living in the world, but we were trying to discern their names in the heart of God. There's this beautiful kind of spiritual insider tradition that says that your real name, who you really are, is who you are in the mind of Christ, who you are in the heart of God. So blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. Now, St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, for instance, she, in uh, a moment of deep prayer, reading Ephesians chapter 1, came to this section of the scriptures where it referenced that uh, we are a praise of his glory. And she had this sort of awakening, like this enlightenment that her name in heaven would be praise of his glory, praise of glory, that that would be her heavenly name. That's who she is in the deepest depths of uh, uh, in, in the heart of God. And the idea that um, when you have that encounter with the Lord, there's a change of name, right? So Simon becomes Peter, Jacob becomes Israel, Saul becomes Paul, 
uh, Mary is full of grace. That's how she was named by Gabriel. That's who you are, the deepest identity. Who is the one to be born in the world, the Messiah? His name will be Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Uh, what is his name? His name is John, right? For John the Baptist. Again, these names, where, where do names originate? Do they originate in the mind of parents? Well, the, the deeper name, the deepest name comes in the heart of God. And so Carrie and I, on, that, on the basis of that, we would attempt to discern rather than decide on a name of our children. To discern rather than decide. Oh, here's a name we like versus, hey, here's a name that we sense is this child's name. It, it was, first of all, just a fundamental acknowledgement that this child is a gift from God. This child is, is, first of all, God's child, not ours. Before this child is our child, this child is God's child, intended from all eternity to be born into our family, an idea in the mind of God realized in history through our cooperation. If you stand in awe and wonder, are you astonished at the creative collaboration you have with God himself, that God has placed into your hands, the hands of our cooperation, the bringing to birth of these precious ones whom he intends to live forever and to carry out fundamental, fundamental missions that will impact this world in accord with his saving purposes. And so if we have that vision for family life, if we have that vision for our own lives, then when it comes to naming children, it's something that you, at least Carrie and I, approached with a, a deep sense of reverence. This is a holy moment. This gift of God, this, this child, is, this is a holy thing. This is a, a no, 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 the holy thing, the birth is a thing, not the child. <laughs> and, um, and so therefore, Lord, what is, what is this child's name? Lord, what is this child's name? And so one of the ways that we would look for indicators, because you're going to discern somehow, is we would look for indicators in the, um, uh, in the feast days that were around the time of birth of the child. And so in the case of John Luke, John Luke Thomas Perrin, there were certain feasts that were really plain to see on the calendar. So you had the Feast of St. John the Evangelist. Okay, so there's the 27th, John the Evangelist. And uh, so there's John right there, even though his older brother is John Mark. Well, we sensed in it, we, had, we, we weren't planning on naming our next boy a two-word name, John something. It wasn't in the plan, but it was what we sensed when we saw the name John on the 27th. And then on the 29th, we had this feast of Thomas Beckett. And so there's John Luke Thomas. Well, Thomas is also my name, so it's a way of honoring um, his father as well. Well, where does Luke come from? Well, you have the Feast of the Holy Innocents on the 28th. The Feast of the Holy Innocents is a reference to the, um, to the infancy of Jesus. And the infancy narratives are found in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. And so is John Matthew Thomas the name? Is the name John Thomas? Is the name John Luke Thomas? And that's what resonated the deepest for us. So it was an inner sense of praying with, feeling, looking at that child and just saying, Lord, what is this child's name? And it was John Luke. So that's where the name came from. Uh, it, wasn't, it, wasn't an, it wasn't some kind of nod to Star Trek. <laughs> Jean-Luc Picard. No, it wasn't. Uh, in fact, it, that would be something that would make us hesitate. It would make us hesitate. It would be like our daughter, Ariana. Um, uh, we, there were a couple of Arianas that were popular at the time of her birth. And it was like, well, do we, we don't really, we're not really drawn to those names, but St. Ariana, this incredible nun, not very well known, but the name means very holy, very holy or very chaste. 
And it was like, yeah, that's, that's what we sense for this child. Very holy. That's what we long for for this child. Very holy. So to be able to speak to someone's identity, being able to help someone discover their identity, your children, right? And honoring that the relationship God has given you with them as you pray for them is, is this incredible stewardship. And so, um, so this idea of helping our kids discover their identity and fulfill their purpose or their mission in life is so very valuable. Now, I talk about that all the time. I talk always about discerning and responding, right? You have to sense what God wants and then you take action. But there are things that make this easier and there are things that cloud our judgment. There are things that make us feel refreshed along the way. And there are things that cloud our judgment and make us feel spiritually sick, spiritually downtrodden, spiritually awful. And this is one of the things that like we don't, I don't think we read about it enough in spiritual books that the, I, I want to call it the existential quality of freshness that comes with living a virtuous life, right? When we, and, and you know, if you've, you've studied you know, virtue and habits that the happy life is the virtuous life. Uh, but I, I would want to use a word that, um, that I, I think is a word, like a couple of words that, that help really bring up, that really bring up the sense of, um, of, um, of what happens inside of someone who's happy. And, and those words are flourish and freshness. Like you think of the smell of fresh bread. You go into a bakery and there's fresh bread. It just, it just, you, you just feel so good, right? That warm, fresh bread. That's virtue. Choosing to live in a noble way. It breathes life into us. We flourish. So I think about that idea of, of affirming, building each other up in speech, having these kids be together in, in, in a situation where they're watching each other and they're witnessing one affirm another. That is so life-giving. It leads to flourishing. It leads to, it fosters good behavior, noble behavior. Yes, it disposes us to godly behavior. Virtue is easy, says Aquinas. That when a virtue is really alive in us, it happens quickly and it brings joy. It's quick, easy, and joyful. It's quick, prompt is the word. It's prompt, easy, and joyful. And so being able to, to affirm like that, it wasn't that easy for, for kids, for the, these young people. But they stretched. They stepped into it. They're, they're going to exercise those, those muscles. Those, those habits will begin to grow in them. And, and as they do that, it's going to lead them to have a fresh and flourishing life. As compared to sin. Sin is so cleverly and just the dark cleverness of sin the dark cleverness of of the the sins that this moment in history promotes is it's hard to sit back we shouldn't sit back we should not sit back so carrie and i um, being here on vacation, Carrie loves to listen to podcasts. And she was listening to this guy who wrote this book on being an intentional father. And the podcast was with this guy, John Mark Comer, who wrote that book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Again, we did, we did that book in the, in the book club. And, and it's this Protestant pastor, evangelical, and he draws so much from the richness of the Catholic tradition about practices that lead to spiritual flourishing, good order in life, like silence and solitude and simplicity. And, but he does so by applying it to the present moment with the clever, dark evils that are surrounding our kids, harassing our kids, bombarding our kids. And so this guy who, who was on 
that had written this book on being an intentional father, um, he had written another book. Uh, no, sorry, the, this John Mark Comer had written another book called Live No Lies. Live No Lies. And one of the ways of describing the essence of sin is that it's a lie. It's a lie. It's a betrayal of the truth of who we are. It's a betrayal of the truth of our identity. And when we embrace a lie, we, we're embracing something that appears good, but isn't. One of the ways that Aquinas describes the essence of, of sin and evil is that it's something that appears to be good, but it isn't. And, and, and it only appears to be good in, in its appearance. It can appear so seductive. It can appear kind of overwhelming in its uh, seductive powers. And when I say seductive, yes, I am talking about the sins of the flesh, like lust and pornography and um, the other sins that, that engage the, the passions. But not only those, not only those, you could take any of the deadly sins, any of them, pride and anger and envy and, and, um, and gluttony and sloth, but any one of them can have this overwhelming sense of, at an existential level, this overwhelming sense of, um, of, of seductiveness, that they're drawing us in and make us feel like if we just allow ourselves, if we, um, what's the phrase? The phrase in our tradition is um, when you uh, entertain a temptation, right? Uh, when you entertain a temptation, um, you've given it too much space because we don't have, we don't have the power to simply say, I'm not going to be tempted where temptations come. It's like you, you can say, uh, I'm not going to experience wind. <laughs> Good luck. You, you can kind of stay in a house and you won't experience wind, but you're not going to be living the full life that you're supposed to live. So, uh, so when we, when we, it's not that we won't have the first thought that is a temptation, but it's what we do with that first thought. It's the second thought that comes in and can sway us towards giving into darkness. And here's what I, I want. Here's what I'm sharing now is that as we approach the beginning of a new year, parents, dads, we need to both live and teach our kids about overcoming the dark, heavy feeling that clings to us when we settle for less in our thoughts, in our words, in the things we've done, and in the things we've failed to do. We have to both live and teach our kids how to come back to a fresh start when we fall short and settle for less, when we give into the seductive voices of our thoughts, words, deeds, and omissions, our passions, our, uh, our, our drives, uh, all of those things. Um, because every single one of us, you and me, we do. You settle for less. That, that's the great sadness is that because we all fall short of God's glory in our lives every day, <laughs> because we all fall short of God's glory in our lives every day, we feel a bit disqualified to speak about Jesus Christ because what we become confronted with is our own failure to live up to the message we bring. And because we feel the hypocrisy because we, we feel the discrepancy that exists between the life that we, uh, that we are called to live, that we, we really want to live, and that we fall short of living. It makes us feel disqualified when it comes to speaking. When in fact, what we need to do is to be, become really good, become really good at repenting. Really, really good at repenting of our deeds, of our attitudes, and our way of living, our whole way of seeing life, those three levels of repentance. These will be so important if we want to help our kids pursue the virtue, come into that flourishing free life 
and be able to leave behind to shed the heaviness, the draining that comes with falling short and settling for less, falling into sin. My brothers and sisters, this is, this is a fundamental task of ours. And especially as we're approaching the new year, this is a fundamental task of ours. Okay, I'm coming up to another break. When we come back, I'm going to do two things in the, in the two segments that remain. The first is I'm going to quickly go through helping yourself, helping how do I repent. And I want, this is something for you to bring to your kids. And then secondly, what are a couple of practical things to do as you are approaching the new year? As you're approaching the new year to discern God's intention. Not just making your own good intentions, but discerning God's intention for your 2022. Okay? Very, very beautiful, beautiful thing to be able to do that. All right, back in a minute with more sound insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. So today in the program, I'm talking about really like the, here I am, I'm with um, my, my kiddos and I'm with a bunch of their friends from school and having a chance to be with them and just so thrilled at seeing the ways that they are flourishing. But you know what? They also fall short. All these kids, my kids, they also fall short in their own lives of faith. And it's my job as a father to them to be able to help them, to accompany them, to walk with them, to be able to know what to do when they sin. Because you know what? Kiddos do sin. I sin. And so to be able to teach them, how do you repent? How do you, what do you do to repent? How do I help them with that? That is a fundamental responsibility that I have. Because you know what? Kids are not going to be taught this in the normal course of events. And so... All right, so I, you've, if, I've done whole programs on this, so I'm going to simplify, <laughs> okay? I'm going to simplify. So the first is, um, uh, when you think about repentance, Jesus said, repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand. There's a way in which repentance removes a blockage to sin. It addresses the blockage that comes in the way that diminishes, or damages, or severs our relationship with God. And so repentance is rooted in this sincere sorrow for our sins, this deep sorrow. Out of love, that's contrition, because I hate that I've betrayed Jesus, that I've hurt him through my sin, but also out of fear of the consequences. I'm hurting myself. I'm hurting my relationships. I'm hurting others that I love, and ultimately hurting my soul, maybe even to the standpoint of losing life with God forever. So there's a lot at stake in learning how to repent. So I talk about repenting in deeds, repenting in attitudes, and repenting at the level of how we see things. Repenting in deeds is the easiest one. It's simply saying, God, I'm sorry. Lord Jesus, I am so sorry for my lustful thoughts, my proud thoughts, my lack of trust, my lack of surrender, my my anger. Lord, I repent of, of the angry thoughts I've had. Lord, I repent of my sloth, my, my lack of spiritual fervor, the way that I, I just settle for easy living. Lord, I repent of my greed, the way that I, I cling to the things of this world. Lord, I repent of my gluttony, the way that I eat just for my own pleasure, Lord, rather than really than what sustains me and I'm destroying and are hurting my, the temple of, of my body. Lord, I repent of, of envy, the way that I don't celebrate the good that others have coming to their lives, but Lord, I, I, I get saddened by the good that you're giving to their lives. You're tracking what I just did? I just repented of the seven deadly sins. And is there any of those? <laughs> come on, come on. Uh, are there any of those that you feel like, yeah, that, doesn't, that has no connection to my life? Yeah, no, I've, I have surpassed those seven uh, capital. They're, they're, the heads, they're, they're the heads out of which other sins come. You got to attack the capital. You got to attack these seven heads out of which these other sins flow because, uh, well, because of that, because that they're, they'll give rise to other sins in our lives. And so um, I, 
I make it a daily practice. I'm trying to remember the last time I went through a day without, like really, it just did my own heart in my own private way. Just said, God, I am so sorry. I am so sorry for settling for less in how I've lived for you. Lord, you deserve so much better than I've given to you. I am so sorry for what I've done or for what I haven't done. Forgive me, Lord. So pray for that, that gift of repentance that the Acts of the Apostles calls life-giving repentance against sinful deeds. And you can do what I do. Just use the seven deadly sins as the, uh, as the simple map out of the seven heads or sources of other sins that will flow from them. Now, some of you may have a particular like a sin that has a grip on your life, a hold on your life. It's, it's a very specific thing. And this is where we lead to the next level or layer of repentance. And that has to do with um, repentance against, um, against uh, uh, attitudes. And repenting of certain attitudes is um, referred to as renunciation. So that particular form of repentance isn't repenting over a particular deed, thought, word, deed, or omission, but rather it's about an attitude. It's an entire way of relating my life to God and his call for my life. And so renunciation, renouncing certain ways of living is often associated with areas of our lives where we experience spiritual bondage. A spiritual bondage is sometimes, but not always, connected to spiritual warfare, demonic attacks, demonic attachments. So I'm not getting into that. That's a different program. But just simply say that some of the spiritual bondage that we're experiencing can be traced back to the devil, can be traced back to the the way in which we uh, struggle with living uh, a godly life. Okay, the uh, so, but it, it's not only that. It, it can also just be um, the addictive nature of sin. So there are certain sins that have an addictive nature, like think pornography. But that's one that you hear, you hear, we hear about. We hear about it enough, but we do hear about it, and and that's one of the ways that we, I think, settle for less and and, and have a need to renounce is with regards to renouncing um, addictive attachments that sin has on our lives. So, Lord, I renounce my use of pornography, if that's, if that's your sin. I renounce, um, again, think of, think of some other habitual uh, sin that you feel uh, stuck in. Right? I renounce... Uh, we could we could just go back to like these would be maybe specific forms of the seven deadly sins. So you, you could take this the one of, I renounce my uh, angry outbursts towards my spouse or my kids. I renounce uh, the greed I have in grabbing after uh, uh, you know money as more important than than you and, and how miserly I am, Lord, rather than generous in giving to you. I renounce how I relate to money. I, re- I renounce how I relate to time, Lord. I I'm so slow to be generous in, in seeking to give my time to you. But Lord, I'm so self-centered in how I live my time. So those would all be examples of renunciation that are connected to um, uh, habitual sins where we just feel stuck. We just feel stuck. Like you can go to confession. You can confess a particular action or, or a number of times you've committed that. But when there's something that's deeper, the deeper spiritual attachment, we need to uh, undertake that other spiritual discipline of renunciation. So don't be afraid to renounce, to renounce the sin. Okay, the last one is the deepest form of conversion. The deepest form of repentance isn't repentance over deeds. It's not where we just say, I'm sorry for doing this. Or it's not even repentance over attitudes. It's repentance over how we see things. It's our consciousness, right? If you take a look at the scriptures and the gospels and Jesus talks about repentance, this whole turning around, this whole turn of the whole way of life that we, that we are living, 
um, there is this sense of um, renunciation of um, of 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 a whole way of of looking at myself as the center. It's taking on the mind of Christ, taking on the mind of Christ. So that's something that um, is a work of God. You can cry out to the Lord because you, you're not going to be able to change your thinking on your own. That'll come as a gift. The beautiful passage from Luke chapter 15 of the uh, prodigal son shows that kind of metanoia, change of mindset. When the uh, prodigal son has that change of mindset and when did he have it? It wasn't when he was back at the house uh, hugging his father who welcomed him home. It was when he was in the pigsty. It said that he came to himself. In the pigsty, he came to himself. What happened? He began to see. He began to realize, I'm in a pigsty of my own making. I'm just stuck here. I have squandered all of the goodness, all of these wonderful gifts that have been given to me. I've squandered them. But I have a father. I have a father at home who's willing to take me back. And so that, that's the deepest level of repentance. It comes as a gift. And so I encourage you, I encourage you to pray for that. Pray for that gift of metanoia. And teach your kids this. Your kids this as well. Teach them to repent over their misdeeds, to renounce their their ways of relating to different aspects of their lives, and to cry out to the Lord to convert them in the deepest level so that they could see their lives in the light that God has for them. That actually brings me to the last theme of the program and to my final break. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you. This last segment is going to be a little bit shorter, um, but so I'll talk more about this tomorrow. This has to do with the theme that Carrie and I bring up every year. I've brought it up for years and years, and Carrie and I have kind of shared it, our own journey with this spiritual practice uh, that uh, on the radio uh, for the last several years. And it's this, this spiritual practice where when you come up to the end of the calendar year um, and, and you're approaching the new year, one of the things that will start showing up all over <laughs> Now, now we just reference the internet, all over the news feeds and, and the ads that you're going to get on social media or on television or in the mail are things connected to New Year's resolutions. And typically, New Year's resolutions are around things like, I'm going to get in shape, right? I am going to do something different this year than I've done last year. I'm going to make a change. And so... <laughs> Without getting into all the details right now, it's very easy for us to like, ponder and write down our goals or our resolutions for the new year. And, um, and, and it's not a bad thing. It's a, it's a good thing to say, I don't just have to settle for how I am. I can try to discern or get a picture of an ideal, a better state of being that lives in the future that I'm going to walk towards. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk and improve to a better place. And, um, and you see so many of these journeys are sort of captured online and before and after and, and along the way, that sort of thing. Not a bad thing. You can see the fruits of it uh, when it works. You can also see that it, it leads to a lot of discouragement when it's not done well, when people choose goals that are not realistic or too many goals, et cetera. But my proposal is this. My proposal is, Bring God into this in a way that maybe is surprising. Not so much that you bring God into it like, oh, Lord, here are the resolutions that I have for my life. Help me out. Lord, this is what I'm resolved to do. Can you get on board with that? <laughs> this is like, God bless my plans. Right? What's the alternative? The alternative is not to say, God bless my plans, but rather say, Lord, what are your intentions 
for my 2022? Lord, what are you resolved to do? So not so much, these are my New Year's resolutions, but rather, God, what are your resolutions for my upcoming year? So Carrie and I tend to start this as we hit the beginning of the liturgical year. And we use between the beginning of Advent and the beginning of the calendar year, our time to stop and say, and just start asking each other, hey, do you have a word yet? Do you have a scripture? Do you have a sentence? So I'll talk more about this uh, tomorrow on Sound Insight, just because we're getting close to the end of the end of the calendar year, to be able to say, Lord, what are you resolved to do in my life next year? There's a lot of stake in that. Okay, just to stop and think about that. There's a lot at stake in that. Why? Well, because you have one chance to live 2022. You get one chance to go through this next calendar year. I don't know how you feel about 2022, but 2021, boy, this year has flown by in its like COVID reality impact and overflow. I think that most of us thought that sort of the COVID stuff was going to be done in 2020. And then it extended into 2021. Well, now it's lasted throughout 2021, and there's no sign of it slowing down. In fact, it, it seems like there's this new abnormal that has taken root, but the impacts of it on our lives continue to unfold in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our states, and in, in, um, in, in the church. And so tomorrow, I'm, I'm going to reflect on this a bit more and give you a couple of spiritual practices to, to, to do. Actual, like here, you can do this activity as a way of helping you get a sense of, what's my scripture? Well, what, what's something I, I want to hold on to as what is expressing God's intention for my upcoming year? So that's what I'll do tomorrow on Sound Insight. Well, I'm coming up against the end of the program. I really appreciate you walking with me through this program. Please pray for me as I do for you. I hope and pray this was an encouragement to help your kids flourish and you flourish as well and forward with God's plan for your life. All right. God bless your day. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.